You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Coming up on today's episode, we break down the Jets' preseason opener, plus unveil where Paul Maurice lands on our coach rankings list. Hello, everybody. Recording live from somewhere. What's good and welcome to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rowicki. You can follow me on Twitter at Brandon underscore Rowicki or the podcast at Skates Plates Pod. It's in the books. The Jets finally got back to the ice and fans in the stands at the new rink downtown. It was, you know, at least a, a, a semblance of normalcy once again. So all in all, great to see the Jets back on the ice. Finally, it means we're just a couple of steps closer to regular season action. So let's get right into it here. Let's break it down. The result, who cares about it? It's all about who stood out, who made their case for either a spot on the team or maybe an increased role when game one of 82 rolls around in a couple of weeks. So let's start with the forward group. We'll get, we'll save the defense and the goaltending for a little bit later. And the goaltending is turning into a very contentious topic as of late here. So we'll make sure to save time for Eric Comrie's performance. But up front, to me, that's where we saw the most optimistic performance of the night. I don't know if he was first star necessarily, but shift after shift, you couldn't help but watch Cole Perfetti pop off the page. That's what I love looking for in preseason action. You know, it's difficult to get a sense of what the team will look like. You don't know who half the players are anyways. All these weird numbers are all over the place, right? So it's tough to get a read on, I mean, who the NHL guys are and all that. So the thing that I do when I'm watching is I look for what I call pop plays, right? And I'm not just talking goals, assists, but something that catches your eye and lets you know that, hey, this guy has the chance to be an impact player potentially sometime soon. And in the case of Cole Perfetti, Jets fans would love that to be sooner than later. But despite not getting on the score sheet, he might have been outside of Nikolai Ehlers, the most dangerous offensive player for the Jets in that loss against Ottawa. I mean, there were a number of high-end offensive plays that he made. And the passing is the first thing that kind of stands out to you. He is going to be a high-end playmaker in the NHL sometime sooner than later. A great play to Andrew Cobb to set him up for a chance in tight. A number of other passes throughout the game as well. And that he even found himself on the receiving end of a nice pass from Dominic Toninato. And he had a great scoring chance. Well-played shot, but a good save by the Senators' netminder. Throughout the night, he was just really, really dangerous offensively. Super poised with the puck as well. We saw him get a chance on the power play too for a little bit with you know some of the high-end NHLers that the Jets iced in that game last night. 
he he just looks like a natural out there. The game comes really, really easy to him. Just an effortless, gifted offensive player. And I didn't notice too many defensive miscues either, so at least he held his own in that regard too. Now, look, I, I don't know if it's going to equate, and I think it's a long shot for him to make the club out of training camp. But we'll see, right? I mean, hey, maybe if he takes his game to another level, even more so than what we saw against Ottawa, maybe Perfetti gets a couple of games before the uh, the nine-game limit sets up for his contract, right? But at the very least, a really, really positive first step for Cole Perfetti. And I'll tell you what, too. This is something that's going to be interesting and, and more relevant as we get closer to the start of the regular season. But we have to remember, Mark Shifley is suspended for game one of the regular season after his hit in the playoffs against Jake Evans. So, hey, maybe if the kid has a few more standout games and a good camp, do you maybe reward Cole Perfetti with an opening night spot? I'm not saying play him at, you know, first line center, but hey, maybe you put him somewhere in the top six, have him play with some of the skilled guys that the Jets have, and I think you might see him stand out despite being a 19, 20-year-old. So something to keep in mind as we move forward here. It's one of the reasons why I really want to see Cole Perfetti have another couple of really strong games because I think there is the possibility that maybe, at, at least even if it's just for game one, we see Cole Perfetti in the NHL. And then, hey, watch him tear up the AHL with the moose. And then we'll revisit his NHL status, you know, 40, 50 games into the season. So that was definitely the most positive thing on the night. Also on the positive ledger, and I mean, no surprise here really, but the Jets' second line going into the season, Dubois, Ehlers, and Kopp, look pretty damn good out there. As you would expect, I mean, not really a whole lot to take from that trio's performance. It's early in camp too, but I mean... It didn't look like they were trying to find each other and, and struggling to make plays or anything like that, right? So, hey, maybe there is some chemistry early on that could only get better as they get more reps between each other. But, hey, Nikolai Ehlers looked as dangerous as ever. Pierre-Luc Dubois had a couple great drives to the net to score himself a goal, which isn't, you know, a big deal in preseason. But for a guy that had basically everything go wrong last year, to have some good vibes like that early on in the exhibition schedule, I just think... That's something that can only help the big guy this year. But I thought he looked great. And then Andrew Kopp was, you know, Andrew Kopp. Just solid, reliable, and dependable. And on top of it, both Dubois and Ehlers didn't end up getting hurt. Or I guess maybe more so, aren't going to be injured for the for the time being, right? Ehlers took that knock to the head. He says he's good to go. Dubois ends up with 15 stitches. Really, the Jets are pretty fortunate that, you know, he only ended up getting a nasty cut on his face and not a broken bone or something like that. So, great news from Dubois there. And, hey, great move by the NHL, too. A bad play by Ridley Gregg. Definitely deserving of a suspension. Uh, but great to see Dubois going to be okay. That line, it sets up for them to be a really, really impactful trio for Winnipeg this season. So, yep, just one game, but some positive steps there. Um, also, like Dominique Toninato's game, I, I mean, we'll see if he ends up making the team out of camp, but pretty much any time he's worn a Jets jersey, he's been pretty productive, so we'll keep an eye out on him to see if he can grab one of the fourth-line spots for the Jets, but liked his game as well, and CJ Cease, a nice snipe, a guy that, hey, maybe if he has a couple more solid games, could put himself as a, a sleeper pick to try to make the Jets roster, albeit not very likely. So that was the good up front. I'm not even going to say necessarily the negative, but some guys that I would have liked to have seen a little more out of. 
to me, the biggest, and again, I say disappointment, but I don't think he was bad or anything, but I was just looking for more of a Christian Veselainen in that game against Ottawa. You know, I talked about looking for pop plays, you know, something that kind of allows a player to stand out above the rest of his competition. And I think we saw that from Cole Perfetti. I mean, obviously you see that from the NHLers that the Jets ice in that game. I just didn't really notice Christian Veselainen all that much. Again, I don't think he played a bad game or anything like that. But for a guy that's going to play a pretty significant role, at least to start the season, on the third line in the Jets' top nine, I think I would have liked to have seen him you know, assert himself a little bit more. Whether it was either physically or using his skill, try to create some offense. It was just kind of a ho-hum game for me from Christian Veselainen's side of things. So again, just game one, still some time for him to round into shape but didn't love the first outing of, of Christian Veselainen during the preseason. Other than that, I don't know. The, the rest of the forwards look pretty solid. I mean, Riley Nash is is, is Riley Nash. Uh, he's not going to wow you offensively, but he's going to give up very, very little in his own end of the ice. And I think that's what you saw. Um, maybe the only other negative, getting Svechnikov his first game uh, as a member of the Jets. He's got a hell of a release. There's no doubt about that. But I just thought the rest of his game was lacking a little bit. But interesting, at least, to see that, you know, he kind of got the first crack, I guess you could call it, as a fourth-line player playing beside Riley Nash and Jansen Harkins. I think two players we all expect to be a part of Winnipeg's fourth line this season. So the battle continues. We'll see if Paul Maurice makes any coaching changes when it comes to his forward lines up front. Now to the blue line. The new guy. I think he made a pretty impressive statement. Brendan Dillon had himself a nice game. And I think in the game, we saw pretty much everything that he's going to be known for and, and, you know, probably be one of the fan favorites for on the team this season. I mean, first and foremost, and it's pretty obvious when you watch him play, he's a big dude that loves to be physical. I mean, he's he's a tank. He had some big hits in the game, and that's going to continue all year long. Probably going to continue in practice, too. But I guess it was nice at least to see him do to the opposition for a change. Uh, but that part of his game was pretty evident. I really liked his aggressiveness, though. I mean, defensively, yeah, that's going to be there. But he jumped into the rush a few times. Like, he's not afraid to get into the play offensively. And, and that might be the most pleasant surprise watching him early on here. He, he's known as a defense-first guy, but he's not just some big dude that can't handle the puck when it's on a stick. He made some nice plays offensively, and I think he's got some good instincts as well. So, all in all... Pretty solid debut for Brendan Dillon, playing beside Neil Pionk. In my opinion, that's going to be the Jets' number one defensive pairing this season. And early returns, pretty good from those two so far. So a good start from them. I thought Logan Stanley was pretty solid. I really liked Jonathan Kovacevic's game. He was paired with Big Stan. I thought they both looked pretty good. But Kovacevic, to me, I mean, I don't watch a ton of Moose action, so... Kind of tried to keep a close eye on him in this one, and I don't know, he stood out in all the right ways. I mean, he's a big, he's not as big as Logan Stanley, but he's a big dude himself, but he skates pretty well for his size. I thought he made some nice short passes with the puck. He looked decisive. Uh, I was pretty impressed by Johnny Kovacevic, and, you know, depending on the whole lefty-righty split thing, you know, I, I think that first performance, if he can continue that throughout the rest of camp, He's going to put himself in the mix to be one of the early call-ups in case of injury for the Winnipeg Jets on the back end. So really, really strong performance from Johnny Kovacevic. I'm looking forward to watching more of him. On the negative side of things, I mean, it wasn't the worst of games for Vili Hainala. 
it might have been one of the worst periods we've seen out of him, though. That that first period was was pretty rough. There's there's really no other way to describe it. I mean, especially and captivated really by the curious decision on the one on one with Ridley Gregg, who was able to. Uh, I mean, I guess technically he dangled him, but it was really more so Vili Hadela just completely turned in the wrong direction, maybe panicked a little bit, and that allowed Ridley Gregg to get the backhand off beating Eric Comrie for the first goal of the night. Uh, you know, he just looked a little tentative early on, a couple of bad passes. Usually he's great with the puck, but I, I just thought he struggled overall to kind of get into the flow of the game. Uh, thankfully, he got better as the game progressed. So that was a positive. I mean, I, I thought we started to see more of what made Vili Hainala successful in his first few professional seasons. Elusive, quick, really, really smart with the puck, smooth as well. I mean, one of the best passers this organization still has at the blue line level despite his age. So the, the, it did get better as it went along. It wasn't all negative for Vili Hainala. I, I think maybe you would have liked to have seen him popped off the page a little bit more from a positive sense. But again... Game one of the preseason, you know, I, I just think as the games move along here, we'll start to see Vili Hainala get a little more comfortable, at the very least, promising that he got better as the game went on. Now moving to the goaltending, and this seemed to be the most contentious point of debate after the game. And, and hey, look, there's going to be questions on Eric Comrie, really until he can sustain a solid stretch of five to six games where he's giving the Jets competent NHL level goaltending so it, it, look the jury's going to be out on him no matter what until maybe the halfway point of the season but it wasn't the cleanest of first impressions for Eric Comrie since he's basically been anointed the backup by the Winnipeg Jets and again I don't think he was bad by any means but I also don't think he eased any concerns that Jets fans have about the backup goaltending position heading into the season three goals given up and I think it's fair to say that there wasn't a bad goal in the bunch. Yeah, Again, it wasn't like Eric Comrie played bad or anything. But to me, the quality of goals that was given up in that game is what separates AHL goaltending from NHL goaltending. And I know, look, and I'm not saying Eric Comrie cannot be a good backup goalie for the Jets this season. Last night's performance isn't going to be a statement on what he could be this upcoming season. But while I don't think there were any bad goals given up, I do think they were all stoppable. They were all preventable plays, right? Because you have the first one. Hey, look, a great move by the Greg kid in on Vili Hainala. It's a backhand in tight. It's a tough play for a goalie, no doubt about that. But it wasn't a great angle either. Again, not a bad goal, but one that maybe you would want your goalie to stop. The second goal. Again, Formington comes down the wing with a ton of speed, shoots it off the post and in. A great shot. But again, it's one-on-one. -on -one, goalie, shooter, no screen. You know, with how good goalies are in the NHL these days, that's one that you probably would like your goaltender to stop. And then the third goal of the night, the OT winner by Shane Pinto. Again, hey, is a well-placed shot. But from distance, and again, one-on-one, -on -one, goalie, shooter, clean sight of vision, unable to make the stop there. So you have three plays, all all similar in nature, different shots, but similar, where, hey, you, you might want your goalie to stop one of those three. Not all three, but one of those three. And, and that's going to be the big change, the big step, the big improvement Eric Comrie is going to have to make in his game this upcoming season. Because I think 
it's fair to say when we judge his NHL career to date, he's consistently been unable to stop those pucks. How is he going to find a way to at least stop one of three chances like that? That That's going to be the big question for him five, six, seven, eight games into his season this year for the Jets because while those were all great shots, it's important to remember that a majority of the NHL is comprised of great shooters who consistently shoot the puck hard and accurate, right? It's not an anomaly what he faced in that game against the Senators. That's what it's going to be like night in, night out for any goalie in the NHL this season. So while it maybe is a bit harsh, he's going to have to find a way to limit the ones that he at least can see. He's square to the shooter. He's got to consistently make stops like that or else maybe the Jets will have to look elsewhere at some point during the season. But all in all, I think a positive night for the Jets. I I think the positives definitely outweigh the negatives despite the loss. Again, who cares? Preseason. We saw some of the young guys, I think, look better than they did last year. And that's all you can really ask for in the first game of the preseason. Not too worried about the NHLers and what they're doing out there. But we'll see if the young guys can carry that performance in when the team gets back to the schedule Wednesday night at home against Edmonton. We'll break that one down in full for Friday's episode coming up later in the week. So that'll wrap up our preseason coverage, our preseason breakdown of the opener. We'll get to our ranking series, which continues with, oh, let's see here. Oh, great. The head coach is in the NHL, Paul Maurice. I'm sure nobody's going to send me a gif of Paul Maurice waving after I unveil my rankings of where Paul Maurice sits across the NHL. We'll get to that right now, but I do want to give a quick shout out to our friends, our main sponsor here at THPN, our friends at DraftKings, because while hockey is just about to get started, week four in the NFL is right around the corner, and DraftKings Sportsbook, which is an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is getting ready to kick off another action-packed week by giving new customers 150 bucks instantly when you bet $1 on any football game. So if you're in a state or a province where you can gamble on single games like that, head to the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. And again, a bet of $1 on any game in Week 4 gives you 150 bucks in free bets instantly. If not, though... DraftKings still has big, big cash prizes up for grabs all season long with their daily fantasy contests. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN to receive $150 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any football game. That's promo code THPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only, new customers only, minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required, one per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. All right, let's continue the ranking series. So far, we've done forwards, defense, goalies. And now we go from on the ice to the bench and then the press box. Next week, we'll get to the GM rankings and see where Kevin Chevaldeau fits. That one will not be as contentious, I believe, especially after the summer of Chevy. But the Paul Maurice one is going to be an absolute firestorm, and I almost don't want to do the episode anymore. Just because, I mean, I think at this point, People are completely set in stone, and they know what side of the ledger they're on when it comes to Paul Maurice. Either they're a big-time fan, 
believer, think he he can get the job done in Winnipeg, or you're one of the people that send the GIF every time that you know a, a lineup changes wrong or a young player is sent to the AHL or is a healthy scratch, right? So I look, I'm not even necessarily here to sway you one way or the other, depending on what camp you're in when it comes to Paul Maurice. But it, it is just interesting trying to rank coaches across the NHL. It, it's much more difficult compared to any player or, or goalie out there on the ice, right? Because, I mean, they have tangible production for one, but you can kind of see it with your eyes, and generally you can make a pretty correct assessment. But there's just a lot that goes into coaching, A, that we don't see, but B, that's dependent on stuff that's out of the coach's control as well, right? And so I kind of hesitate to put numbers on it necessarily, but I'll do it in, in case people want to want to hear it and, and want to figure that out for themselves. But when I rank coaches, to me, there's three tiers of coaches, I, I guess at any level, but we'll just stick with the NHL here. To me, there's three, three tiers of coaches at the NHL level. At the bottom end, you have the bad coaches, the guys that, you know what, you put them on just about any team and they're not going to be able to get tangible improvement out of the roster. In some cases, they actively make your team worse. So the bottom of the barrel, the bottom 10, if you want to call it that. I don't think Paul Maurice is in that group. Then to me, you have, I mean, if you want to call it the top 10, you can do that. But to me, you have the high-end tier of coaches. The ones that you can put behind just about, I mean, you can put them behind any team in the NHL. And I'm not going to say that they can take any team to the playoffs. But you put them behind the bench and they will get the absolute most out of the group in front of them. And they will make that team better than the sum of their parts. I'm talking guys like, and he's number one on my list, but I mean, Barry Trotz, for example, right? Anywhere he goes, he makes that team better. And after what he's done with the Islanders, I just don't know how you can't have him at the number one spot in any coaching list. But guys like him, you have legends like Joel Quenville, um, John Cooper, the job he's done with Tampa Bay, never mind these past two cups, but even the, the several years before that, the Bruce Cassidy's, who's been great with the Bruins. These are the coaches that generally are up for Jack Adams award nominations or victories. They make great personnel moves. They optimize their lines. They're innovative, great communicators. Their system play is solid. All that, right? All of that goes into a high-end coach. And I have about, I don't know, maybe 10, 12 of those names in my list. But even then, it's kind of hard, right? Like, I'm not going to take anything away from John Cooper, for example. But, I mean, how many coaches would have been able to win one Stanley Cup with that Lightning roster? Even Jared Bednar in Colorado. I, I really like Jared Bednar as a coach. But, I mean, you look at what the Avs threw out there last year. A lot of head coaches are going to look really smart. So, it, it is tough in some cases, especially with these elite teams, to, I think, properly grade some of those head coaches and the job that they do. But ultimately, you know, they're still leading those teams to results that I think people would expect out of them. And, I, and sometimes that job can be hard when you're given such a talented roster. They're able to make it work. So I have, you know, guys like Cooper, Bednar, Quenville, Trotz, uh, Cassidy that I mentioned before, Brent, Rod Brindamore winning Coach of the Year, uh, Gerard Gallant, who just got a job, oddly enough. But to me, he's a no doubt about it. Top 10 coach in the NHL. I mean, even with Vegas... 
seeing the job that um, I'm blanking on the name here. Pete DeBoer has done with both Vegas and San Jose and even Nash or New Jersey, taking New Jersey to the Stanley Cup Finals. Mike Sullivan has been a really, really good coach for a long time now. I'll, I'll throw Elaine Vigneault and, and Dave Tippett in there as well, guys that have been you know successful coaches for a long, long time at the NHL level, constantly getting their teams to the playoffs. To me, that's the high end here. Do I think Paul Maurice fits in that mold? No, I don't. I, I, I think it's I think it's fair to say over these last few seasons that Paul Maurice isn't one of the best coaches in the NHL. And now that's not me saying he's a bad coach, but you know, just judging from what we've seen in his tenure, and maybe even specifically these past few seasons, I'm not willing to put him in that rarefied air just yet. So that kind of leaves us with the mushy middle. And, hey, maybe that's the best way to call it, the coaches that fit into this group. I think there's a lot of guys in the NHL, a lot of coaches in the NHL, that are good, average, whatever you want to call them, something in that range. Where, if you have a roster that is maybe not even necessarily stacked and loaded, but if you have a good roster, they can do a good enough job to get you deep into the playoffs. If they have a subpar roster... You know what? They're probably not able to elevate them to higher levels. I think Paul Maurice fits in that mold. Now, you know, maybe you could make the case that, hey, look at the teams he's had these past few seasons with the defense court that they've had, and they found a way to sneak into the playoffs. Maybe that is evidence that Paul Maurice can elevate the team that he's given to, you know, higher heights. I, I would disagree with that slightly just because this team analytically was so poor these past few seasons. And the defensive play has been borderline atrocious at times. I think the elite play of Connor Hellebuck has kind of, you know, ironed out some of the warts that would be more prevalent if this team didn't have some of the best goaltending on the planet these past two seasons. But that's neither here nor there. Just looking at Paul Maurice as a whole, to me, if I have to sum up the kind of coach that he is, I think he's a solid coach. I don't think he's great. I also don't think he's bottom 10 and an idiot, and a bad coach either. I I just think, I think you can win with a guy like Paul Maurice. But again, I don't think he's elite. I don't think he's the worst of the worst. I mean, when you talk about what Paul Maurice does well as a coach, number one, no doubt about it, has to be communication. He is, he's an elite communicator. And in this day and age, with the way that athletes and really just about anybody is in society that's under the age of 40, it's a really, really important tool. It it can't be overlooked. I know sometimes people almost mock the way Paul Maurice communicates with the media and, oh, he's just a smooth talker and he gets people in the media. He's able to pull the wool over their eyes. I'm not even necessarily talking about that, although it is great to hear somebody as eloquent as Paul Maurice. But he clearly is able to communicate with his team in the right way. And the players that are on the team right now, they really do love him. And they speak highly of him. Jack Roslevic and Patrick Lighty might disagree. But the people that are on the team right now, they really truly do appreciate the job that Paul Maurice does. So, you know, I I think communication is 100% number one on his greatest skills list. What else does he do well? Well, I think he's a great motivator, which kind of goes along with communication. I mean, the power play has consistently been in the upper half of the NHL, if not the top 10 year after year, under Paul Maurice, and I think he deserves some credit for that. And it's not just the high-end skill Winnipeg has. I mean, look, Toronto's power play 
has been horrendous for years now. They have more skill than the Jets do. Their power play can't get it together. Chicago, too, for a number of years has been in that boat. So I, I think the power play, as good as it's been, has been somewhat underrated. Uh, the job that Paul Maurice has done with that unit. On top of that, I think his offensive game plan, to a degree, too, is somewhat underappreciated. It's not just as simple as, hey, we got a bunch of high-end guys. You guys do whatever you want in the offensive zone and you know, you'll make it happen. It's a little more nuanced than that, right? Because I think it's fair to say for anybody that's watched the Jets over these past couple of seasons is that, hey, they put a high emphasis on crossing passes, getting the goaltender moving, trying to emphasize high danger shots in high danger areas. I think that's another positive on the Paul Maurice coaching list. And you might even be able to throw player development in there as well. And I know that is going to make a few listeners a little angry hearing that. But while guys like Ehlers and Shifley and, you know, some of the really high-end picks that were taken, while they probably would develop in just about any scenario outside of Buffalo, you know, you have to look at guys like Josh Morrissey, Andrew Kopp, Adam Lowry, Logan Stanley, Mason Appleton, and the job he did with Dustin Bufflin, even though that was years ago, Big Buff's ascension to the elite of the elite in the NHL as a defenseman can be contributed, can be pointed to solely towards the job Paul Maurice has done. Now, it hasn't been perfect in player development, but I think he's done some good things as well when it comes to that side of the ledger also. So, you know, there's a number of positives despite what people may have you think about the job that Paul Maurice does as a head coach for the Winnipeg Jets. Now, the reason he's not in the upper echelon of the NHL when it comes to head coaches is there are some drawbacks to Paul Maurice's coaching style. I think it's totally fair to question whether he optimizes the Jets' lines year after year, right? I mean, we talk about continuously throwing Connor Shifley-Wheeler out there despite middling to subpar results as this team's top line, overplaying those guys as well. Not giving Nick Ehlers enough minutes. I think there's a debate too as well about maybe a old school top six, bottom six philosophy when it comes to constructing your forward lines. And then we have last year on the defensive pairs, you know, putting Josh Morrissey beside guys like, you know, Nathan Bull, you want his offside with broken ribs and a broken hand. Tucker Pullman for long stretches as well, even though it looked like he was out of his element. There, there's definitely when it comes to the mix of players that are being thrown out there, some some issues and concerns with what Paul Maurice does. On top of that, I would maybe even point to stylistic problems when it comes to how the Jets look and the way they play over these past few seasons. Now, to be totally fair as well, the decor was, what, bottom five, bottom ten in the NHL these previous two seasons? It's not like Paul Maurice was necessarily working with you know, the the Detroit Red Wings of the, the early 2000s or anything like that. But I didn't love the way the Jets became extremely passive in the neutral zone, attacking the puck carrier, right? When when Buff and Truba and Morrissey and, and Myers and all that crew was patrolling the blue line, we saw super aggressive play. We saw them pinch up in the neutral zone and in the offensive zone. And, and I think that was an extremely effective style of play for the team. But I think Paul Maurice just dialed it back too much these past couple of seasons, maybe seeing the limited personnel that he had and not wanting to put them in those kinds of situations. So, hey, we'll see if that changes with a much improved decor this year. But I think over the past couple of seasons, 
that's a fair critique of the job that Paul Maurice has done. The final point, and really the key focus in terms of on-ice play for the team this year, is the fact that, you know what, the Jets' defensive structure has been non-existent for long, long stretches of play. That That is going to be the biggest thing that needs to be corrected in order for the Winnipeg Jets to get back to contender status. And I think that falls on the head coach. There's been different players and different mixes and things like that. But to me, it's hard to ignore a team like Boston, who has you know constantly a revolving door of forwards and defensemen year after year, yet they continue to be really, really difficult to score against. The Islanders, obviously, the best defensive team in hockey. There, there's a number of other teams out there that play solid, structured hockey without necessarily having elite-level players behind it. And I think that is going to be Paul Maurice's biggest job this upcoming season. And I think that is a totally valid critique over his past couple of years in Winnipeg here. So you take all of that into consideration, the good and the bad, to me that puts Paul Maurice somewhere in that mushy middle. Outside of the upper echelon, the top tier of coaches, but good enough to avoid being somewhere in the bottom 10 and, and coaches that I don't think you would want to have on your roster or maybe haven't shown enough yet to show that they can improve teams that they're given. Where that is number-wise, probably in the low teens, somewhere in that 17, 18, 19 range. Um, again, I, I, I don't know if I can necessarily put a number on it. If, if you want one, let's go 18. <laughs> but I think anywhere in that mushy middle is, is a fair spot to put Paul Maurice you might say it's riding the fence a little bit. Hey, maybe it is, but ultimately that's where I would rank Paul Maurice when it comes to head coaches in the NHL. We'll see if that's good enough this upcoming season, but hey, there's no doubt about it that this is kind of the ultimate make or break, put up or shut up season for Paul Maurice because there's really no excuses for him heading into this campaign as opposed to the last two years. This team is really constructed in his ideal image. There's a concrete top six and bottom six up front, a good mix of size and skill, not high-end talent, but an aggressive, talented defense core, and then a workhorse Vesna caliber number one goalie, right? That's the kind of team that I think Paul Maurice, I mean, goaltending, obviously, but even pushing Connor Hellebuck aside, the forward and defense group is, I think, what Paul Maurice looks for in his ideal team. He's been handed the keys to that now. We'll see. The proof is going to be in the pudding if Paul Maurice can get this team back to contender status or maybe at the very least a no doubt about it playoff team with much improved underlying numbers this season. That's going to do it for the episode. Thank you guys so much for tuning in once again. We're back at it on Friday. Like I mentioned, we'll get into your comments, I guess, first and foremost about, you know, Paul Maurice, his ranking on the list, where you have him. Am I right? Am I wrong? Do you agree? So we would love to get some feedback and your comments on that. And we'll also break down another preseason game for the Winnipeg Jets, the second on their schedule, Wednesday night at home against the Edmonton Oilers. We'll see if any other young players can make a statement and maybe improve their case for making the team. But again, thank you guys so much for listening to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki. We're back on Friday. Peace.